Okay, welcome everybody to episode 33 of the Bomber Brothers podcast and a fitting episode number with threes all around. We have an extra one here with us today. Bomber father, I guess we would call him, Glenn Chichester. Uh, or dad, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to be calling him for the rest of this podcast. But uh, Sean, this is the first time we're doing a podcast together in person since the pilot. Yeah, I uh, I remember the pilot. They had some technical issues with Echo and everything. Hopefully we've, <laughs> we've come a long way since then. Uh, had some big guests, but I guess none bigger than the Godfather over here. Yeah, Dad, you're the reason we're Yankee fans, so we're happy to finally have you on and uh, and welcome as we record here in, in your house on your home turf. Well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I don't think I've been on the air with you, Ryan, since uh, last year in your Quinnipiac days. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We were previewing the baseball playoffs, and uh, my predictions did not go well that year. I predicted, I think I predicted the Dodgers to lose in the first round, and they went to the World Series, so... Let's hope uh, predictions are a little better this year. Let's hope things for the Yankees are a little better this year. And uh, guys, I think they got off to a good start in making sure that happens and locking up Luis Severino, which I think is the big Yankee news. And we'll get to Machado, who won't be coming to the Yankees. But first, concentrating on the players that will be in Yankee uniforms for years to come. Severino on what seems like a team-friendly deal, not... Not as bad on the player himself as I think the NOLA deal was, where he sacrifices two years of free agency. Severino is potentially one, and um, while the structure of the contract is kind of telling on what players are bracing for in a couple years for a potential work stoppage, it's still good to see the Yankees locking up some of their young stars and starting with their ace of the pitching staff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if Severino is the player that he's been the last two seasons, the second half of last year notwithstanding, then they have a bona fide ace making $10 million a year for four years and then just a little bit more than that in that fifth year. So five years of team control the Yankees have now over Severino, which is tremendous. Um, I, you know, I can't complain about the deal. Like you said, I don't think that he, I don't think that's an, it's an overly team friendly deal uh, like the NOLA deal because it just, if, protects him against injury as well. So it goes both ways when you're in your arbitration years. And, um, yeah, I, I was really encouraged by that. I was really happy by that. I know we were both upset when we thought he was going to head to arbitration because we know things there get nasty and we were going to have to staple Randy Lupin's mouth shut, but we can put the staple gun away. Um, and hopefully they move to locking up uh, some of their other players soon as well. Yeah, I was, I was very relieved this didn't go to arbitration hearings because I was – prepared for Randy Levine to call him Louis Severino and say that he's not an ace because he's, it's like saying he's an astronaut or something stupid like that. But um, thankfully we avoid that. Dad, we were talking about this before um, we started recording, but you've been a little skeptical on, on Severino, but what are your thoughts on locking him up for the next four years? No, I'm really happy. And um, uh, again, I'm hoping he's going to be, or he should be one of the cornerstones of the Yankee um rotation for some years now from some years to come uh the only question mark with him is you know his stamina sometimes late in the season he seems to run out of gas he's had a rough time in a couple of playoff games um i've read several articles he's really worked on that in the off season even changing his diet or something like that so um you know if that could help him out he's going to be a cornerstone of the rotation yeah, the, the velocity was pretty much the same, maybe a slight, slight microscopic dip uh, in the second half last year. There was the tipping pitches concern. Um, thankfully, those are things can, that can get addressed. But you know, also for Severino, he had his 
first body of work as a starter in 2015, was mainly a reliever in 2016 because of all the problems he had in the starting rotation. And then you throw back-to-back years of 200 innings. So I think it's logical to think that maybe he just simply ran out of gas last year and it's just getting used to that workload. And I, I personally have very little doubt that he'll return to the way he was in the first half of last year. Yeah, I mean, he's he's shown that he's he has the ability to bounce back. I mean, you know, talked about how he's pitched in the postseason, but after getting chased in that wild card game, he comes back in a must-win game against Trevor Bauer, who shuts the Yankees down game one of the division series in 2017, and pitches a great game, keeps the Yankees in the game, they chase Bauer, and then he cruises and gives them, I believe, that game, he pitched seven strong innings, mm-hmm. um, if not, you know, six, and down one nothing in Houston, he goes out and matches up with Justin Verlander, and if it's not for that ninth inning, um, the, you know the series could have been very very different in the American League Championship Series. So he's had some good good starts in there too, a couple clunkers, but um, you know I think in, in time that'll definitely come. CC Zabathia had a, a reputation for being a bad playoff pitcher, and he's been nothing but aces since coming over to the Bronx. Yeah, that's true. And even the wild card game last year, yeah. Severino clearly was still laboring with some fatigue, and he just. He emptied the tank quickly. He, he started losing it after about the fourth <laughs> inning. But those were four dominant innings before Batanzas had to come bail him out. So he, he was huge. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, you guys had the opportunity to be at the wild card game in 2017. Um, but even hearing it on TV, you could hear the energy. And Severino came out that first inning and brought in the way that he just shut down the A's. I thought you knew right away this is just going to be exactly like last year with the fans into the game and everything like that. And even before Judge hits that bomb, really set the tone. And, you know what, when you have that bullpen, why not empty the tank through four innings? If your manager knows how to use it, um, you know, go for it. So where do you think Severino ranks in Major League Baseball right now? I and mean, you have your top-tier starters in the Klubers, the DeGroms, Scherzers, and I, I think Severino belongs in that second tier right below those pitchers, if not on, on the borderline at least, at least when he's pitching like he did in 2017 and the first half of 2018. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I would put him right in that second tier. And the only way he gets into that first tier is just to be more consistent. And that's all those guys have above him is a body of work. And, I mean, if he goes out – I mean, you think about it. If he went out and pitched to the stats he had last year but just spread it out over a full season, it would be fine. He would still be a top-tier starter. So if he can pitch like he did in 2017 and then the first half of 2018, then he is, you know, top three. All right, so let's uh, go ahead and just get this out of the way because this is something we've been talking about, beating this horse to death for months on this podcast, pretty much since the season ended. But Manny Machado's officially not coming to the Yankees. I think that was decided a while ago, and there were all these you know, te- little teasing reports coming out. Oh, don't count the Yankees out. Don't count the Yankees out. Well, now we can count the Yankees out. It's- Machado gets his gets paid ten years, three hundred million, going to the Padres. The Padres of all teams have the two most expensive offseason signings in the last two years. I think one of them looks a lot more promising than the other after signing Hosmer last year. But so now, what are our reactions? Machado is officially not going to be a Yankee. He won't torment us in the American League, at least. He's over on the West Coast, um, where we'll see how he can do in, in Petco Park, where. It's not known as the best hitting park, but anyway, it doesn't seem like the Yankees were really ever too seriously in on him, aside from that initial meeting in New York. So uh, just one final time, what are our reactions as we now know that it's concrete? We'll start with you, Dad, that Manny Machado's not coming to the Bronx. 
I, I never really wanted Machado uh, as a Yankee. Just laying that amount of cash out. Um, I'm, I'm really more focused on the young talent that the Yankees have. You know, Judge, Torres, Andujar, Sanchez, etc. And uh, these guys are going to be looking for big cash one day. I'd like to stay within the organization if we can. Uh, develop a quote-unquote another core four. You know, if we could do that. Um, the amount of money that Machado was wanted, I just think it was beyond what the Yankees wanted to spend. I mean, I, I really don't think the Yanks were ever serious anyway. To, really, the only thing that they really offered him that he got was a dinner. And then other than that, I really don't think there was any really serious consideration. Uh, as far as him going to San Diego, um, um, a lot of people said the same thing, too. When uh, Cano went to Seattle, it really was in Hitters Park, and uh, he did fine there. So I think Machado will do fine in uh, San Diego. Uh, but anyway, I'm, uh, I'm happy he's not a Yankee. I think the, the money could be better spent. Sean? Uh, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, you talk about locking up the young talent. Manny Machado's the same age as Aaron Judge. Um, Manny Machado will be younger when that 10-year contract expires than Robinson Cano is today, and he's still an elite hitter in the American League. At a position where, sorry, the Yankees have a need. I mean, Andujar is not a good defensive third baseman. Um, you had the opportunity to go from World Series contender to World Series favorite, not just this year, but at least the next three years uh, with the moves that they've made uh, to, the, to the pitching staff. And they, they wasted that opportunity. I mean, people complain about spending big money contracts. Um, usually when you sign guys over 30 or near 30, that, that happens. But, I mean, when you look at guys that sign big contracts – in their mid-20s, whether it be the first A-Rod contract, which was a tremendous deal and, and nobody ever talks about, um, it winds up being a big deal. And, you know, they just they had a chance to get one of the elite players in baseball and, and, and where, they, where they could absolutely use him and absolutely passed on it. Um, and I'm kind of baffled by that. But at the same time, I think the Yankees went with the cheap upside in Andahar. I mean, I, I think Andahar is a good kid and he has potential, but I don't think he'll ever be – Manny Machado, and I don't think he'll come close to it. What do you think? I, I, I mean, anyone who's listened knows where where we're at. I, I think, I think what's even more baffling to me than the Yankees seemingly being disinterested in a player like Machado is how much a lot of the fans have gotten behind this thinking of where don't spend the money, like save it, um, luxury tax, and all these concerns that just that shouldn't be there. The Yankees. The gap between revenue and payroll has never been larger than it is right now, and I, you know, kind of as a as a fan, feeling a little led astray based on the the tone heading into this offseason of this is where you know the Yankees make their move, and it not only did they not make that move, but it seemed like they never had any intentions to, and you know, all these tweets from Heyman and and all the other you know big reporters saying that Machado preferred the Yankees and would have liked to go to the Yankees. I think it's even more frustrating that all, all it would have taken was a phone call and an offer. And you're right. A, a lot of people have issues with these 10-year contracts and they get so scared about the back end of these contracts. Well, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are outliers because they came into the league so young. They got through arbitration so young. They became free agents at such a young age where the back ends of those contracts they'll still be in their mid-30s and probably really productive. Obviously not at the level they are right now, but the you know, you're paying essentially for those prime years and this when you have a team with a young core like dad said, 
you complement that young core with established superstars to hopefully win multiple championships. Look, look at the the Yankees dynasty of the past. They had their young core four, Fab Five with Bernie Williams, and and then they also made deals, you know, trading All Star Roberto Kelly for Paul O'Neill, making a big trade for Roger Clemens, and making sure that they were still putting established stars around those evolving pieces and. Uh, Manny Machado led the league in plate appearances for the last five years. He's led the league in hits from a shortstop or a third baseman over the last five years. They just couldn't have done any better if they wanted to get him. And uh, it's it's disappointing. Uh, and I'm also relieved that this is the last time we have to talk about it because, to be honest, initial reaction when I saw the tweet was, thank God, because I really just wanted this to be over. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it's over also. Um, you know, when you're talking about – who the Yankees had in the nineties, I think you forgot, you know, the middle of the order bat they went out and got in Tino Martinez and spent money on, <laughs> by the way, by giving him an extension right after they traded for him, um, you know, to be the greatest player in the history of baseball. But um, just to kind of close that out, the other thing that really irked me is today I'm online trying to get Yankee tickets and for a Thursday night game against Boston, the cheapest they're charging in the wings of the upper deck. Now this is from the Yankees, not from a scalper site. Is seventy five dollars. So why are you asking me to pony up more than I ever have for a Thursday night game? Because don't Boston? you want to see Troy Tulowitzki at shortstop like, oh, perform yeah. like Brian Roberts in twenty fourteen? <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Um, and no, that's that's really what I'm bra- that's what I'm bracing myself for. And you know, not to get cynical, but I am ready for the Yankee fans to jump all over the Tulowitzki and Lemayhu bandwagon when they are hitting three hundred by the end of April. And then all of a sudden they hit a wall because you know, LeMahieu can't hit well outside of cores and Tulowitzki hasn't played in two years and he starts to feel the fatigue. And then, you know, and then the Yankees probably justify it like, oh, we saw what they could do in April. We know they're still capable of that production. And then you have yourself another Stephen Drew when you could have had an established six-win player for the next 10 years at a quarter infield spot. And I get it. I get the love for Andujar, and I think everyone at this table loves Andujar too. His bat is incredible. And you had an established six-win player on the board that you could have grabbed, and they decided to pass. So it's uh, it's it's frustrating for me. I know I know Dad disagrees, but I just I can't bring myself to get on that the the wagon of financial concerns when you are the fourth most valuable franchise in all of sports and. Like you said, $75 for upper deck seats and $15 for a milkshake. I can go on and on. And uh, <laughs> and here they are putting uh, their faith in a critical position like shortstop in Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah. I have to put my faith in Cashman. Uh, I mean, he's made... Some incredible moves through the years. You guys have not lived through the barren times like I did of the, you know, mid-80s, early 80s into the mid-90s where the team never even had a chance. I mean, this team, even without Machado, is competitive. Their lineup, one through nine, I think every every spot in that lineup hit at least 20 homers last year. So it's not like the team is not producing. And they, they do have some good young talent. Um, if everybody gels this year, and, and that could be with any with any player that you get, um, if everybody plays up to their potential, I think their lineup will be fine. Yeah, but you have the opportunity from going too competitive to dominant, 
and that's what you're passing up. And they could still go out and get Harper and get that same kind of impact, but we all know they're not going to. It's not even worth talking about. Yeah, I think I think that's where my issue lies. And, and and the people that say this aren't wrong, but I do see a lot on Twitter and among conversations about the Yankees is, well, the Yankees still had a good offseason. They got James Paxton and and um, Ottavino. They re-signed Britain. And all that's true. But when you're entering the peak of your window for multiple championships with the young core that you have that are still under arbitration and, and friendly deals like Severino, that's when you really go for it. And and the season after losing to your bitter rivals who win the World Series, I, I just I'm not aiming for a good offseason. I'm aiming for a great offseason, especially when it was the offseason that the front office was you know, subtly pointing towards for the last couple of years as a reason why they weren't going after guys like Verlander at the waiver deadline in 2017 and uh, Darvish last year. And, you know, those were both moves that I didn't really, I, I didn't have much anger about because of things like that. And I was like, okay, like I, I get it. Verlander would, would have been an expensive get who was a, a question mark at the time because how he was struggling with Detroit. I think if the Yankees knew how much he would turn a corner once he got to Houston, they probably would have would have made a different decision but again here we are kind of have been teased for a while that this was going to be the offseason where they were going to go words from the front office fully operational death star quote-unquote big game hunting and i personally do not consider dj lemayhew and troy tulowitzki to be be big game hunting (laughs) yeah the the yankees offseason was like they shot par but they were 10 feet away and two-putted like mm-hmm. it, it was a good haul, but you still missed the birdie, and you had the opportunity. But yeah, and some of that money is tied up in Ellsbury, who apparently can't run on flat ground. Which, yeah, plantar um, fasciitis. Which, I, I mean, to his credit, I've been struggling <laughs> with that ever since I started running again, and it has sidelined me for weeks. I had to get special insoles in my feet; it really hurts. But I'll probably be back to running by the time he's back to walking. Yeah, well, we'll have to talk about that. How that affects the duck season now, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know if we need to talk about it because I don't think any of us expect Ellsbury to be there. And the Yankees are putting all their eggs in a basket filled of an unknown in Clint Frazier, who obviously has flaws in his game but could be an exciting player, or an aging, aging Brett Gardner, who we all love. And I think I, I saw his quotes today on what he said about Clint Frazier saying he's coming for his job. And Frazier was more, you know, more elegant in how he said it. Yeah. But Gardner said all the right things. That's a scary proposition, too, because you could be looking at not much production out of left field, third base. Well, third base, you should get the offensive production, but left field and shortstop now. And first base. I mean, you have question marks there, too. Who knows what is, – is Luke Voigt going to be able to you know, produce even a third of what he did down the stretch last year? All the projections seem to think so, to his credit. They, they like him. I'm less worried about first base because you have two guys there. Now, obviously, Bird has you know, run through the gauntlet with injuries, but you have two guys there that have done it on the major league level within the last 18 months. So that makes me feel a little bit better, at least, than left field where yeah. two, two total question marks. So, and again, like this, this seems bleak because these are free agents that we really wanted to see the Yankees sign, not just because it would have made the team better, it just would have made them, by leaps and bounds, more exciting. I mean, I would have been lining up to go to a game every time I wasn't wasn't working. Um, I'll probably still wind up doing that just because I'm a sucker for baseball and the Yankees, and I'll be part of the problem. But anyway, um, I think what gets lost is, while this is, for me, a disappointment, and to you, Sean, but... This is still a team that I expect to win 95 to 100 games. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing, just real quick, I wanted to touch on today. I mean, unless we have any more thoughts on Machado, can we never talk about him again? No, I think I think, come to I think well, the this one is thing it. is, if you if they did get Machado, you'd be paying a hundred dollars for those corner seats instead of seventy five. Gladly, I would <laughs> I would do it in a second, and I would. That's Flag, fine. Flags fly forever. <laughs> My account balance only is temporary. Um, so th- one of the things that I did see come up this week, and uh, you know, I've been very critical of Aaron Boone and how he handled the bullpen of the postseason, and as of most people, and rightfully so. But it came out um, that he actually, Zach Britton, had some tightness in his arm, I believe it was, mm-hmm. or his hamstring. I think it was, uh, was it his leg? hamstring? I think it was his leg, yeah, yeah. Some, because he, ha- he had the ankle injury. And rather than admit that that's why he screwed up handling the bullpen in Game 3 or handled it the way that he did, the game where Severino was left in much too long and then things spiraled out of control from there, rather than admit to that, he covered up for um, Britain, even when Cashman said you can say it if you want to because he knew Britain was going to be a free agent and that it would cost him probably a little bit of money because it'd be more of an injury concern. Ironically, the Yankees wind up giving him that money, which is great. He's coming back. But um, kudos to Boone for standing up for his player. Um, I, you know, when we talked about Ben Lindbergh two weeks ago. He's not the best X's and O's guy. We've seen that. Um, but obviously, something like this is going to earn his trust, earn trust in that clubhouse. Yeah, and, and at the same time, you also hear that he's you know flying down to meet with Gary Sanchez, and uh, I think it was Lindsey Adler who had the article in the Athletic about their um, growing relationship, which was a huge part of Joe Girardi's departure. Um, but those X's and O's things I'm less concerned about because those are things that can be learned through experience. And, um, you know, a a lot of those uh, X's and O's gaps were made at at the worst possible times in the ALDS. One of them probably maybe a little more explainable now than it was in the past. But I also think that just goes to show you how much, you know, good fortune also comes into making a dynasty and winning a World Series because you think about those Yankee teams that we were alluding to earlier, those teams stayed healthy. Uh, aside from aside from Daryl Strawberry having a you know terrible stroke of of bad health with the colon cancer in '98, it's it's hard to think of any other serious losses for them in in the playoffs when things were super important. And maybe something changes with a healthy Britain last year. And and look at the Astros too. Me personally. I know the Red Sox won 108 games, but heading into that ALCS, I thought I thought the Astros were going to win that series. And I think with a healthy Altuve, who was battling, I think it was a foot injury at the time, and Correa was uh, had been ba- battling a bad back for almost the whole season. I think if those two are healthy, it's a totally different series. But again, you have to have good health at the right time. So um, let's. Uh, you want to touch on the results of our draft that we did? Yeah, absolutely, I do. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> so we, we did a draft um, last week, if anyone didn't know, and the draft consisted of us drafting one player, drafting one single season of their choice. For example, my shortstop was 1999 Derek Jeter. Uh, my third baseman was 1978 Greg Nettles. Sean's third baseman was 2007 A-Rod, who obviously he had the big um, advantage there. Sean had the first pick with uh, 1922 Babe Ruth, was it? 1920 Babe Ruth. Or 20, yeah, 20. Are you sure it wasn't 21? Uh, I don't know. It was one of, uh, a year where Babe Ruth 20. was really good. Not, that obviously doesn't narrow it <laughs> down. But, but um, Sean, you won. I, I finished with a total war of 82.8, and yours was 87.2, I think. 
so about four point something uh, advantage for you. So um, congratulations to you. And um, I, think, I think Dad would have preferred my team just because I just said Greg Nettles. But absolutely. Well, I had Don Mattingly at first base, and I had Ricky Henderson in the outfield. So I had Ron Guidry on the mound. I had Gossage out of the bullpen. <laughs> no one likes Goose Gossage anymore. Can you we know be honest with <laughs> if one If one of us had drafted Bobby Abreu, that's who's <laughs> that's four that, category stud. Yeah, yeah well, uh, he's, good, he's good in fantasy because in fantasy land, there's no walls to run into out in right field. I remember being a kid and um, like d- dad would have everyone over for their uh, auction drafts. And I think I remember, I just remember like sitting on your lap one year when I was a kid and just watching you bid like three quarters of your money on Bobby Abreu. You had to have spent like $50 on him in that draft. And uh, yeah, so Bobby Abreu and Todd Helton, those were those were my dad's guys Todd when it Helton came to fantasy. That was that was another monster. that was another ten year contract, by the way, that looked pretty good looking back. Yeah, <laughs> you know what else is a big contract that looks really good that people have quietly don't really mention Tanaka. Oh yeah, he's he's been worth every every penny to me. I think. Oh yeah, that that more. And I, I catch some heat for this one too, but I also don't think the Giambi contract was bad. No, I mean tr- tremendous year. I mean, if you oh three and oh four were down years, but other than that, he was. 2002, 2006. I mean, those. Yeah, three wasn't even that bad actually. Now I think about it. Well, the Yankees wouldn't be in the World Series without him in 2003. So, no matter what he did in the regular season, he made up for it in Game Seven of that ALCS, which the three of us watched together. That's that's true. Yeah, we re, we relived that a couple times already here. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, Dad, we have you on now. So now that we're going down memory lane, you made us a Yankee fan. But what made you a Yankee fan? Honestly. I kind of like the Mets in '69, right? because they were well. No, they they were the young team, and uh, that, that was really breaking into baseball as as a, as a kid. That I was only nine years old then, and um, my brother, your uncle Rob, he was a Yankee fan, and then we were friends with kids in the neighborhood, and one of them was a Met fan, and one was a Yankee fan. So it was like three, like two Met fans, one Yankee fan, and I was kind of on the fence. So that just helped me to jump over the fence on the Yankee side and even, and even the sides, two to two. And uh, ever since then, I was just uh, a Yankee fan. And uh, that's just how it really kind of like happened by accident. Um, I, I didn't really have any guidance from my father. My dad wasn't a big baseball fan. He really, you know, he never took me to a game. Actually, the first time we went to a game together, I took him. Um, but it worked out great for you guys at Faithful Day. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> at Faithful Day. And, Our uh, childhoods thank that random friend of yours and, uh, that was a Yankee you know, we fan. Have, uh, you know, we have great, great, great memories. Of course, my favorite Yankee memory with you guys is the quote-unquote cold shot when I called the Boone home run. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And then he went out to be manager. So, And, and speaking of Boone, you know, I, I wasn't a fan when he got the managerial position. However... Um, as with anything else, there's a learning curve, especially playing in New York. There has to be a monstrous learning curve. Um, just handling that lineup, that clubhouse, plus the management behind you. So um, hopefully we're going to have a better year this year. Yeah. Uh, at least at least on the decision-making end of things. I know there's not a huge impact on being a manager once the teams take the field and then you know talent trumps all, but this is – a team led by Aaron Boone that won 100 games without seven weeks of Aaron Judge and with seven weeks of Shane Robinson and with a full year of Sonny Gray. So, I mean, that's that's something I would put at the top of my resume. 
I had Sonny Gray on my team and won 100 games. Well, he's gone, thank God. <laughs> so you were a Mets fan originally, huh? Yeah, learn something new yeah. every day. This is like when Francesa announced he was retiring on, on Katie Nolan's podcast. <laughs> and, like She wasn't ready for this yeah. revelation. The only thing I'm going to remember about Sonny Gray is he ruined your bachelor party. Well, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> Sean has brought that up, I think, a third of the episodes of this podcast. And it, must have been 100, and it was 100 degrees at that The heat doesn't so. bother me. Sunny gray bothers me. <laughs> I, yeah, we played paintball in 100-degree heat earlier that day, and I think those paintballs – the first match of paintball, I got shot in the neck where there was no guard, and that hurt less than watching Sunny Gray. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. <sighs> All right, so um, – What's, what's left to talk about? We've got we've got games to watch this weekend. I think I think we know, uh, Dad. I don't know if you've been listening to our podcast recently, but we do a non baseball thing we're looking forward to. But I'm I think it's going to be pretty challenging to pick a non baseball well, yeah, one this week. We got to transition to baseball things we're looking forward. to. I know this is great. Um, so we're all looking forward to. This I think we're all looking forward to Saturday Yankees Red Sox spring training. Uh, on MLB Network, right? Yeah, I can't wait to watch some guys I've never heard of pitch before. Number 88 pitching to number 76 and a bunch of, uh, I mean, I guess I'll be watching Esteban Florial, but then got, you know, random guys that, you know, we've seen maybe on tweets from the Yankees, the new Yankees player development Twitter account, which is... I haven't found that one yet. Oh, yeah, they have a new player development um, Twitter account, and it's usually quick clips of a pitcher striking someone out, given the numbers of that he had last season, and um, trying to hype up the farm system that has now plummeted out of most top 100 rankings, except for Florial and uh, Loisaga. Well... Good that baseball's cranking up again because at least you know what you're going to be watching on TV for the next six months. Yeah, <laughs> See, no, that's that's it. That's true. I have I've strategically ended watching new shows because I know it's almost time. I'll I'll watch Game of Thrones on Sundays come April, but other than that, the the slate is clear. I I think I'm going to commit to getting MLB.TV this year because with with this new work schedule I have, I get home at like 10:30. What's What's better than getting home and putting on a West Coast game? Maybe watch a little Manny Machado. Watch him hit home <laughs> runs and cry. <laughs> well, that's well at least he's someplace you can't hurt you until the offseason. No, that's true. That's he he, he killed the Yankees in the AL East, and I think that's what made it even tougher to watch him go because you knew how much he tore up that division, and the Red Sox in, in particular. Yeah, yeah. I, I told Carolina that after we finished watching the, the Wire, I don't want to start a new show for a while, and she just said that's because it's almost April. So <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah. So, um, but um, speaking of entertainment, this Sunday I believe is the Oscars. Yep. Not that I would watch that, but um, Yankees have been featuring a lot of movies before we close out today. What's your favorite baseball movie? What's your favorite baseball movie about the Yankees or with the Yankees in it? Because there's been um, a lot of them. They've been the villains, and you know, there's been a lot of movies about the Yankees. Yeah, my favorite baseball movie is the one where they were the the villains, led by uh, Clue Haywood. Because I think Major League, <laughs> I think Major League's my favorite, um, my favorite baseball movie. It's just, it's it was the perfect combination of laughter and like um, adrenaline. Because not only is that movie hilarious, but the, that last that one game to decide the pennant really really pumps you up. The Serrano home run and. Um, we watched that before one of our playoff games. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to get you pumped up. But uh, yeah, I would say Major League's my, my favorite. Yeah. Followed followed closely by the Sandlot. Gotcha. Well, we all know my favorite baseball movie is Field of, Field Dream. of Dreams. Can't be beat. No, that's a solid one. 
Solid, yeah. Uh, now, what about we, now the Yankees, the Yankees aren't in that one, so uh, you pick one with the Yankees. Um, Pride of the Yankees. Oh, classic. Gary, Gary Cooper. Cooper. Yes. Um, I I go back and forth. I love um, I, I love um, Field of Dreams, but I definitely like Major League and League of Their Own more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think League of Their Own is very underrated, and I love Tom Hanks. Um, and you know, Major League's obviously great, but if we're going to talk for a movie that's feet that is about the Yankees, I mean, Pride of the Yankees is obviously a classic, but I think just because it was made more recently, I love '61. Yeah, that, that if we're doing yeah, movies yeah. about the Yankees, '61 well, yeah, was mine. That was Billy movie. Crystal, right? He, yeah, yeah Billy he did Crystal. a great job. Yeah, um, like I'm blanking on his name, the guy who played Roger Maris, but he's oh, pretty Pepper well known. Came yeah, back from World War II from sniping all the Nazis. <laughs> he he right did around. he did yeah. a great job. Yeah. I'm surprised no one here mentioned, even as an honorable mention, but I, I felt like we were a big natural family. I think we all like the natural I a lot. I like the natural. I think the natural's overrated, and I think Bull Durham is the most overrated movie of all I'll time. Agree, I'll agree with you on Bull Durham, but um, yeah, I, don't th- I don't think the natural's fan, overrated. But, uh, no, the natural, yeah, no, I thought that was a great movie. That was a good story. I could go all the way to the last scene and watch that, but the rest of the movie's too slow for me. I'm, I'm not, a, not a big fan. Yeah. But, um... Runner-up, by the way, um, probably my favorite Yankee moment in a movie is when we watched Little Big League for the first time and you see Paul and you see Paul in the movie. <laughs> that was so sick. Yeah. I, I wish we got him winking when he was rounding the bases like they did Head Griffey doing in that, <laughs> in that movie. But um, I think we can all agree that that's the most underrated baseball movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it features so many big leaguers. Yep. Um you get to see Randy Johnson jump up and down. And <laughs> you know, it's funny that that movie was made before the 95 season, right? It was made during the strike in 94. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what happens in that one-game playoff is eerily similar to what happens in 95 when the, the Mariners <laughs> beat the Yankees with Griffey getting the big, you know. Yeah. Griffey gets a big hit, and uh, Randy Johnson comes out of the bullpen and shuts down the threat. That's true. Well, you could say the, Yan- the Sandlot's a Yankee movie, too, because theoretically Babe Ruth was a yeah, that, that's <laughs> the whole movie was revolved around around the babe. Um, so we all have different nominees for best for best movie. So um, all right, this is fun. We could do a best performance by a Yankee. So you have Bernie and Jeter in Seinfeld. You can also throw in uh, who's it? Danny Tartable. Danny Tartable in Seinfeld. Um, Jeter and uh, Clemens were in Anger Management. Oh yeah, that's right. Jeter was in the other guys. Compare <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeter, you dick! You shot me. <laughs> And then he's in a deleted scene where he's like homeless yeah, on the streets. The garbage, yeah. <laughs> um, he would that would not be my nomination. I don't think that was a. When you he, went, he was a much better clutch hitter than he was an actor. When you went into that movie, because I saw that in theaters, I'm mm-hmm. assuming you did too. Yeah, of course. How, I heard like, Jeter was how were you just waiting for Derek Jeter to show up? Like the whole movie, I'm just like, when is Jeter yeah. gonna be in it? Like I, I was laughing during the movie because I really do think it was a funny movie. But yeah, the first time I saw it, it was just tunnel vision. Like, yeah. what's gonna happen in the Jeter scene? Because it wasn't like. That was before like Twitter, where they like things like that got leaked. You didn't yeah. know like what the context was, and um, he gets shot in the leg by Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> but um, no, that wouldn't be my nomination. I don't know who would be. That's I, tough. I, I I think Paul O'Neill and Seinfeld is probably the best Yankee, yeah. like real Yankee on screen arguing with Kramer. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's mine too. Babe so that's Ruth, unanimous. You call him Barry Wilson. Well, he wasn't stupid enough to promise two. <laughs> Yeah, Seinfeld had some uh, classic Yankee uh, Yankee moments, all the way up to um, Frank Costanza's um, tirade at George Steinbrenner about signing Hideki Arabu. 
<laughs> in the last, in the last episode. episode. All right. Um, any other any other nominations that you, you could think of, Oscar related, that you wanted to to nominate? Um, um, best. Uh, I mean, we, we can really turn we can turn this into a whole project. You can do best player in a supporting role and say who is the be- you know who is the best uh, unsung hero on the Yankees or something like that. Unsung hero in, in a movie. Well, no. I mean, uh, we could turn like, this into like on on the field oh. using Oscar like nominations. Oh, this will be. Oh. The, I, I'm not going to turn this into a whole thing, but if so, I 78 World Series, Brian Doyle was a nobody hit 500 in the World Series. There you go. In place of Willie Randolph. Ooh, what about you? Um, I, I guess I would say Mike Mussina in the 2003 ALCS. That's a good one, um, for sure. Hey, uh, not to get sour, but speaking of Moose and thinking about the Hall of Fame, did you see what came out about Mariano? Yeah, yeah. I guess we sh- I guess we should touch on that real quick. So apparently he's heading back to Panama to go to a hearing. Uh, there's um, a woman who's um, accusing he him fa- of... Well, he fathered uh, two children outside of his yeah. marriage with this woman, which I was shocked because I've always pictured Mo to be like, you know, one step removed from holy. Yeah, it seems like all of his motivations, his whole career was was spiritual and um, building churches. And his whole book when he retired was so centered around uh, God and those principles. So um, we'll see what what becomes of that. I guess. I mean, today, uh, today or later this a- late this afternoon, he said that the, uh, these allegations are unfounded. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all about he's not he's allegedly not paying child support. So hopefully he's at least taking care of the children he fathered. And, you know, that was that really I saw that ever that last night. I was shocked. Yeah, my wife was too. We were both like, yeah, you, you have your you have your childhood heroes who, you, you know, some things come out and you're like, oh, they're human beings. But Mariano was always someone who felt kind of above everything, really. He just was like the epitome of humility and yeah. even though he was so dominant you know what's funny like if you think about the core four if you count andy getting in trouble for steroids mm-hmm. which i mean obviously so many people were doing it but outside of baseball he has led a pretty clean public life jorge Posada. i knew where you were going that, with that yeah. person that has stayed out of the most trouble and if you gave me all the money in the world to bet on which one would get into the most back in like Nine or two thousand one, I probably would have bet Jorge. Yeah, if I if I had the way he would argue, if I had to create like a power ranking of likely most likely to get into some kind of trouble after their baseball career, he would have he would have been at the top. But But, um, I think that's I think that's one of the things I've always identified with Jorge on is that he always kept it real. Like he was always like mm -hmm. he was he was very genuine, and even if you didn't like the way that he acted or the emotion that he showed, you could tell he was all like there was no act. He was just take me as I am. And who he was was a you know a good guy. Yeah. Speaking of books, after they retired, he was very transparent in, in that, for better or worse, with feelings about guys like Pedro and Joe Girardi and everything that happened at the end of his career. But um, again, it's they're human beings and can't be put on pedestals, I guess. But we'll have to find out what happens with that, and maybe we'll have some more revelations about that story to talk about next week well my best um actor in a supporting role um obviously is going to be tino martinez um in what (laughs) the world revolves around tino well i mean to the entire core four the entire time i mean but uh no i (laughs) there was a thread online about the um the 
the Rangers when they won the 94 Stanley Cup. Some Seth Rothman, who's been on this podcast twice, yep. was talking about how his parents made him go to bed. He had to wake up the next morning. And I was thinking about how we'd have to go to bed sometimes when we were, we were younger. Not for the World Series, but for the earlier rounds. And Dad would leave a note or tell mm-hmm. us what happened. And the day after, the morning after Jeter did the backhand play in the hole, the jump throw, Dad wakes me up. And you were actually pretty excited. And you... I never saw you cheer at a Yankee game until 1999. For Chili Davis. <laughs> for Chili Davis. It was like the fourth, the third game we'd ever been to. Um, and finally, in the ninth inning, you cheered. But you were like, you had to see this play Jeter me. He went into the hole. You were like pretty excited. He's like, you ba- he backhands, he jumps, he throws. And, I mean, if Tino wasn't there, he had so much on the throw, it would have just went right into the stands. That's how powerful the throw is. And I, I remember I just stopped, and I was like, so if Tino – wasn't there. He saved you from an error. So that's Patino's <laughs> yeah, when you, yeah, when you watch the highlight, it's like <laughs> no. an eye-level throw that but any of us could have made. I was 11 years old, and that was my, that was my logic. All right. Tino was the unsung hero, everybody, of the game one right. of the 98 ALCS because Jeter's throw was above his chest. But, so you heard it here. But in all seriousness, after the Fab Five with Bernie and, um, you know, the core four, O'Neill and Tino are the unsung heroes of that team. Yeah. Because every year from 96 to 2001, they brought it, and especially in October. So those two would be co-supporting actors. I agree. All right. And our supporting actor today, Dad, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure having you on. And uh, maybe one day we'll get Bomber Brother number three on here, and it'll be the whole the whole group together. That's it. Then we'll have a new uh, core four of broadcasting here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Enjoy finally some baseball. And I think um, think maybe this means come next week we'll start calling this season two of the Bomber Brothers. This is the season one finale, then. We've got the origin story of, of how father, uh, Bomber Father came to be. <laughs> Did you ever think with us, like, I've gone too far? Like, there's that scene in Spider-Man 2 where the arms take control of Doc Ock, and mm-hmm. it's like every everybody creates a monster. You ever just think these guys just got too far into it? It's I, too I never think that. This is, and this is one of the best <laughs> things about baseball. See how this, like, brings us all together and how, you know, it's just a whole, it's a dynamic that just flows when we're together in baseball, when we go to games, when we watch games. It's just, uh, it's great. It's great times. It's great memories. And, Fortunately for all of us, it revolves around a great team. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think we could have scripted a much better start to fandom. Hopefully, it returns to that soon. Manny Machado certainly would have helped. All right, that's it. That's the last. <laughs> time. That's the last time we're going to mention it. But on that note, we'll see everybody next week. Enjoy some live baseball, and um, that's it for us. Peace.